This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are joining us today. This is a great episode today with Dr. Jenny King, who is a licensed social worker with a PhD in that arena who centers on trauma and is the co-director of the Center on Trauma at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. Jenny is also the mother of three, and her and her husband unschool their children. So we're going to learn about what unschooling actually is. But in this conversation, we focus on stress and trauma and also the importance of play as adults. We talk about moving away from surviving to actually thriving after trauma, how we can work to calm anxiety and everyday life through these simple micro practices that Jenny has developed. And I hope that this is an insightful conversation that helps you in your everyday life and also in your parenting. This episode of the podcast is supported by Gooder. If you're looking for a great pair of sunglasses to wear on the go or for everyday life, they have really fun colors as well as really simple and classic colors and designs. I love their aviator shades so much. I wear my Gooder shades every single day. They're very affordable, very functional, and you can save when you go to gooder.com and use the code Lindsay15. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5. That'll save you 15% off your order at Gooder. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jenny King. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Jenny King on the show. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to chat with you today. So happy to have you. We have a lot of Ohioans. Is that how you say it? Ohioans on the show? I know. Ohioans, Ohioans. I don't know. It's clunky (laughs) no matter what. (laughs) Are you originally from Ohio? I am, yes. I'm originally from the Cleveland area, and I left and came back once we had kids because we have grandparents here. Oh, Um, that's always the great debate, even if you want to go somewhere else. But like being close to family is so important. Yes, absolutely. So that I mean, it was a tough decision, sort of. Um, But even then, like running the numbers around (laughs) childcare versus like some help from from grandma. um, I guess it really wasn't that hard of a decision (laughs) after all. Where now where did you guys live for a little while? We lived in Philadelphia, so I got my doctorate degree at the University of Pennsylvania, so we lived in Philly while I was doing that, and um, I got pregnant with my oldest when I was finishing my dissertation there, Um, so he came, like, you know, a little earlier than we (laughs) we thought Uh he might show up, Um, so that just kind of, yeah, changed things around and fast-tracked us back to home. Um, Speaking of being home, one of the topics we hopefully have time to hit on is that you unschool your kids, which I'm super interested in that concept. And I actually recorded an episode on that early on in this podcast, and then the audio ended up not being salvageable. So I know, but um, I learned a lot, you know, just from talking to the woman I interviewed on that. And so we'll ask you a couple of questions about that 
as we get through the conversation. But let's start with what you actually do for work and what you got your PhD in, which is centered around trauma, coming overcoming yeah. trauma. Yep. So I, um, like by training, I am a social worker, a, a clinical social worker. And so um, I have my master's degree in social work. After my master's, I spent time working as a child and family therapist in a couple different places. So I worked here in Cleveland, I worked in Columbus, I worked in Philly. And sort of the, um, the, the, the thread that tied all of my work together was exposure to traumatic events and adversity. Um, in all different settings, all different ages, like that was just kind of the thing that tied it all together. So when I decided to pursue my doctorate degree, which is also in clinical social work, um, I was really curious about how we understand, how we come to understand the traumatic experiences that children have, because as clinicians, we're kind of limited in the tools that we have available to us. So many um, trauma screening tools, for example, rely on adult report of child experiences. So I wanted to develop a tool that would allow kids sort of a developmentally appropriate way for them to be asked and answered questions about their history themselves. So I created um, a pictorial screening tool for trauma that has like cartoon images alongside the questions so that kids who have reading or language issues or just kids who have attentional issues, that's like almost every traumatized kid. Um, just makes it a little easier to have those conversations. So now um, I am in academia full time. So I'm an assistant professor at the Mandel School of Applied Social Sciences at Case Western here in Cleveland. That's our social work school. And I'm the co-director of our Center on Trauma and Adversity. So a lot of my work now is preparing future therapists to work with um, traumatized populations, which unfortunately at this point after these past two years is all of us. Yeah. Yeah. How did you even begin to create that pixel for kids? Like, where did you even start? So I actually partnered with my husband to do the imagery uh, because I don't like I do not have an artistic bone in my body. I love art, but I like the stick figures that I draw embarrass. <laughs> my kids. Um, but he is really creative and artistic. So we started talking about just sort of looking at some of the more popular like cartoons and shows that kiddos are drawn to and tried to sort of like build a character around that. Um, we're, I'm creating a new version that is part of a project that I'm on that uses emojis instead, since emojis have kind of become like a universal language. Even for, you know, I, my six-year-old, Actually, my two-year-old is very interested in emojis on the phone, too. So just trying to make it appeal to the little ones was sort of the starting point. Okay, your kid's six, two, and then what's the age of the other one? Almost eight. Almost eight. Okay, eight, six, two. Cool. Yeah, so my biggest two are 19 months apart. Oh, so that gosh. was like a wild couple years. Yeah, <laughs> anything under two years, it's like, woo, it's a whirlwind. Yes, yes. But they're best buds now. I mean, we were like crossing our fingers, like holding out until we got to this point. But yeah. 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 I know. I always tell my kids, I'm like, you guys, when they fight, because they do fight a lot. I don't know if your kids fight, but my kids fight a lot. I'm always like, you guys are going to be best friends. Like you are so fortunate that you have these like built in buddies when there's actually, you know, speaking of trauma and the pandemic, as you mentioned, the past two years, like 
I'm like, you have no idea how fortunate you are to have each other in this home together when everybody's like alone and separate and not together. Like you have people close in age to play with. So stop fighting. (laughs) Don't you understand how lucky you are? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you know, at some point in your work, you hope to move from surviving through trauma to thriving part of life. And so I just wonder like, what are the, what are the stepping stones or places that you start to kind of shift that mindset for people or help shift that mindset for people? Yeah. So, you know, interestingly, I think my training, um, initially was very much around shifting mindset, but it's really sort of transformed into um, helping folks to understand sort of the way that our brains and bodies are impacted by stress and trauma and the way that we can utilize that information to um, sort of like metabolize some of what we've taken in. So for lots of folks, you know, talk therapy is super helpful, super effective. And for other folks, it's just not. Mm-hmm. And a more sort of like somatic body-based approach can feel more manageable. But I think also just trauma and stress disconnect us from our bodies. And so being able to kind of gently be reintroduced in sort of a, a relationally safe way, I think can help folks come a really long way. Little ones too, like helping little ones to understand what's happening in their bodies when they're stressed out, when they're scared, when they're worried, um, I think just opens up a whole different way of um, of coping, of dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah, even like the smallest things with my kids and I, when I can tell like they're stressed out about something and things start getting escalated and elevated, I don't quite know how to like walk them through that emotion. Like, you know, try to get at their level and say like, I understand you're feeling frustrated. I understand you have big feelings, but it's not appropriate to act this way, X, Y, Z. And it's like, it's really hard to try to, I don't know if relate is the right word, but it's challenging. Totally, totally. And I think, first of all, I think in in those moments, we tend to talk way too much. Mm, right? My husband always tells me that. And I'm like, don't tell me that. I do it too. I do it too. But the reality is like, okay, so they're in this elevated, activated place. And what that means is the part of their brain that's responsible for like the survival functions, which is why they feel kind of revved up is the part of the brain that's running the show. That's sort of the bottom most part of the brain, the brainstem. Because that part of the brain is running the show, all of sort of the body's energy and the nervous system's energy is focused in that area and all other parts of the brain above that become inaccessible. So what parts of the brain are above that? The parts that are responsible for arousal, emotion, and most importantly, cognition. Like the the sort of tippy top part of our brain is responsible for our most sophisticated functions like reasoning and logic and problem solving and all those things. And I think what we sort of do, because this is just who we are and we are sort of very like cognitively oriented, is to approach kids in a way that is attempting to access parts of their brain that they don't have access to. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I think the easiest example of that, which we have all lived, is when you are – 
stressed out, freaked out, melting down, and somebody tells you to calm down, right? Yes. Like never in the history of calming down has that been effective. (laughs) Or like, just think about it. This isn't that big of a deal. A, B, C, D, here's why, you know? Like that's not getting rid of what's happening in my body. In fact, I'm not even really listening to you. So we, I'm trained in this model called, um, the neurosequential model of therapeutics and it changed like my clinical practice certainly, but also my parenting for sure, because what talk therapy does and what we are doing when we're trying to access the cortex is going sort of like top down when what's going to be more effective is going from the bottom up. So what can I do to help regulate the child's brainstem soothe that kind of like survival stuff before I try to relate. And certainly we want to do the relating piece. And then it would be appropriate to talk about what to do different next time or, you know, what is appropriate and what's not appropriate. So following that sort of bottom up sequence instead of jumping to like, this is why you know, you can't behave this way or why didn't you do this other thing instead, which is it's a hard. I mean, that's a it's a different sort of way of thinking. It's so hard to retrain what you like naturally want to go to. Yes. It's so hard. I mean, just this morning, my son just flipped out because um, my husband ate the rest of his pizza last night. Aww. And he was very upset that he didn't have his pizza this morning. And I mean, it was like the end of the world to this child mm-hmm. that his pizza wasn't there. And I know I didn't respond like in the best way. I honestly, because I was just mad. I was like, your dad bought you the pizza. He was hungry. He finished your pizza. We have like plenty of other things to eat in this house, you know? Yes. Yeah. That And that's the, lo- that's the logic speaking because those like in those moments that is illogical. Like that is illogical to be, to go from, you know, zero to a hundred. Like slamming doors, like slamming the refrigerator, yeah. stomping through the house, trying to wake people up. It was like, what is actually happening in this moment right now? I mean, I get it. I've been upset when people finished my food that I wanted totally to <laughs> I was gonna say that too like <laughs> I mean I've been like but I like the reason the logical part of my brain is like why can't he just be like oh shoot man I really wanted to eat that pizza dang what it a bummer and just yeah. move on but I don't know he's 10 and super emotional about food apparently <laughs> clearly well and I think you know I love to talk to my like for other friends who have kids about the reality of how Honestly, how rarely we really do show up as like our best parenting selves. Like what percentage of the time do you think you actually respond in the way that you know, you know, you would prefer to respond, I guess, is what I should say. And that percentage is probably pretty low. I know it is for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing is that we can always make repairs, right? I, I, I think our kids appreciate when we can come to them and say, like, I was thinking about what happened in the kitchen and I really don't like how I reacted to that. Can we try again? Or what was that like for you? Because it felt like I got kind of a little too frustrated or something like that. Yeah. Like, we can always go back and make a fix. But it is really, really hard to get to this sort of bottom up thing that I'm describing, because a lot of the stuff that helps to regulate the brainstem involves like pattern, repetitive, rhythmic activity. So that might be taking a walk that might be, 
um, drawing, playing with a fidget toy, using a sensory tool, playing an instrument, things that look like fun, things that are fun. That's part of why they're effective. So if we are in this activated place because the behavior is frustrating to us, we are pretty it's a lot harder to try to engage the child around something that is enjoyable to them because we're not in a place that that that's going to feel good for us. Does it make sense? Oh, totally. I want to get into that a little bit more too because I read one of your articles about like the basic necessity of like playing and how we've yes. kind of like moved away from that as adults. Yes. Um, but first on the topic we were just talking about, as you were saying that, I was thinking of, I just saw this on, I was, you know, scrolling Instagram like I do. And um, one of the positive parenting people that I follow, which I'm all about positive parenting, but sometimes I get frustrated because it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she was saying, um, ask your child, what is your experience? I'm going to say this wrong. Something about like, what is your experience with having me as your parent? Like, what is, mm -hmm. what experience am I bringing to you? And mm -hmm. she was like, don't say anything. Don't respond. Just let them talk. Don't come back at them. Just let them give their real answer. And I thought, oh my gosh, I feel like if I say that, they'll immediately go to that I nag them all the time. Mm -hmm. Like clean mm -hmm. up this, clean up that. You know what I mean? Um, and, and really like I want them to, I want them to perceive me as, loving and caring and also fun but also that I have boundaries and they need to respect yeah. you know our house um but I I am nervous that my kids would immediately go to you're constantly nagging me telling me to do this and that you know I mean they probably would because yeah. we do have that like cognitive negative bias right I they could tell you 99 things that they just love about experiencing you as a mom and at some point in there say that you nag yeah. and that's all that we hold on yep, to, yep, right? Yep. So I think that, I think a way that I might tweak that question would be to ask what you could do differently mm. so that it's less about like this negative thing, this thing that I perceive you doing that I don't like, which, you know, part of that is like, what is that about for us? What is that about for you to hear, to be nervous about the fact that your kids might perceive you in that way, yeah. right? That's maybe like an us thing, not a kid's thing. Yeah. Um, but also then you get like something constructive, yeah. right? Something something that's actually like actionable rather than like you yell at me all the time, uh. <laughs> <laughs> which I have asked that. I have asked that question before and my six-year-old said for you to yell at us less mm. and Im immediately so my kids do that thing which I remember doing too mm -hmm. where the grown-up doesn't have to be necessarily raising their voice at all it's just sort of that tone mm -hmm. that more stern tone gets coded as yelling and I like had to bite my tongue <laughs> to not say well I never ra I try never to raise my voice at you I'm not actually yelling it's like calm down that is your stuff receive the feedback, you know, figure out how to integrate it and make the change if you want to make the change. But yeah, it's really hard. Um, exactly why I named the podcast, Why Is Everyone Yelling? Um, not only because my kids are always yelling and sometimes they're just yelling because they're having fun and it's loud, but 
also because like I found myself yelling way more than I wanted to be yelling, which is like, I don't ever actually want to be yelling. Same. <laughs> so I said, you know, that's why I named it. Why is everyone yelling? Cause you know, and I say this to them too. I'm like, yelling does not make me feel good. It can't make you mm-hmm. feel good. Like it's just mm-hmm. not, it's not a good feeling. And it's like you, uh, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. And ah, there mm-hmm. it goes. You just lose it, you know? Yeah. And I think, so the other piece is that when we think about, I love that, like, this doesn't feel good for me because a a really helpful thing for me to think about when my kids are having those sort of the pizza meltdown, for example, is that that doesn't feel good in their body either. Mm -mm. Like that's that, that kind of activation is really unpleasant feeling out of control. Like that is really unpleasant. And that's like a really helpful thing for me to keep in mind. And I love the idea of them having that understanding of us and our behavior too, that this is not how I want to be behaving. This is not relationally what I want this to look like for us. I think that's really important. But the other thing that I have noticed in my household and in dealing with um, the other kids that we engage with and other families is that after these past two years and however many months it's been now, for so many of us, what it takes to go from calm, calm, calm to here is a lot less than it used to be. So I think about that as sort of um, a sensitization of our stress responses. So we've been so activated for so long without being able to come back to sort of baseline. It's just been like peak, 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 peak. What's the next thing that's going to happen that's really stressful? And so it's almost like a bruise, like a teeny tiny touch is just excruciating. So that's happening for my kids and it's happening for other kids, but I think it's happening for a lot of us grownups too. So what do we do? (laughs) (laughs) So what I think is really helpful, one thing is totally counterintuitive, but introducing, so we think about stress, stress in itself is not bad, right? Stress is like any sort of challenge that, that shifts things in our body. So even like hunger, is a type of stress. There's this type of stress. There's also like exciting big new thing stress, like going on your first date or, you know, it's not fun, but taking a test or something like that, that kind of stress. So you feel the activation, you have like the sweaty palms Ugh, or like, yes. if you're like me, like the circles under your arms, <laughs> I get like, I, I'll, I'll feel like a shooting tingle through my arms, yes, like all the things yes. or GI distress, like all the things. Yeah, my tummy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You feel that you feel all of that activation and then you do the big new thing and then it's over. Right. So you can kind of come back down your body understands like, oh, stress ends, right? We can tolerate this. I can do hard things, as Glenn Doyle says, yeah, right? Yeah. So in these times when the stress has been as wild as it's been, I like the idea of introducing tolerable challenge that allows us to kind of come back down. That's really trying anything new mm-hmm. or doing things in a different way. So that's one sort of tactic is sort of like allowing yourself to complete the stress recycle, the stress cycle a lot of times. The other one is, I don't know about you, but I when it comes to like self-care, air quotes, I used to think about it as something that I needed to devote like a big sort of chunk of time to. I had a plan for it Mm -hmm. and it usually took money Mm -hmm. and it took time, right? 
And when we do that, we kind of like save up all of our capacity for self-care into going and doing this one thing. And then we go and do the one thing and we feel rejuvenated, we're zen, whatever the case may be. And then we come back home to the noise and the chaos and you know, dinner needing to be made and all those things. And it's like all that benefit has just gone out the window. That sort of pattern is not sustainable. So that's like a big dose of self-care, not very often. So what I suggest people do and what I try really hard to do myself, although truthfully, like even this is something that's hard to reprogram, but to engage in like one to three minute breaks or practices lots of times a day like once an hour at a minimum, what can you do? If that's like the length of a song, for example, like listen to a song, dance around the room, use sort of any sort of pattern, repetitive thing that feels good to you. So that it might be, um, for some folks, like that's cleaning. That's not cleaning for me, but doing the (laughs) pattern, repetitive, whatever. Right. It feels good once it's clean. Yeah. I like, like, vacuuming is that for me. I like the straight lines Uh uh uh, in the carpet, right? But even just things like, you know, singing, praying, laughing with somebody, bouncing, shaking, doing a little bit of movement. Or if you're a person who knits, knitting is a really great pattern, repetitive, rhythmic thing. What can we do to to build in these sort of like, I call them micro practices, micro practices multiple times throughout the day And can we involve our kids in those too, so that they are also kind of reprogramming the way that their body responds to stress? A really long answer to your question. Yeah, no, um, I was thinking about that when you were talking though, like anytime I schedule a massage or something like that, I can almost just totally ruin it for myself because I'm like obsessing over the fact that I need to be enjoying this. I need to be fully in this moment because like, this is it. This is the thing. Like I spend all this money. I, and I'm like taking all this time away from all the other things. And like, it almost like ruins the big thing because you're obsessing over how it needs to be so perfect. Exactly. And so you're, you aren't even able to enjoy it. I completely, that completely resonates. And yeah, we're in our heads about it. Like this is the one time that Uh I get to do something for myself this week or this month or whatever. Like I have to make the most of it. So what if instead we did these smaller doses of things that we really love to do that feel good in our bodies, that bring us joy or awe or wonder, any of that kind of stuff that we think about as extra, you know, like we think about as things that we, we just don't have time for. We don't prioritize. That's the, the stuff about play. Like that's one of the reasons that, I think playfulness for grownups is just as beneficial for the brain and body as it is for little ones, just in different ways. Hey friends, a quick break here. Do you know about Hello Skincare and their amazing lash serum? It's called Lash Therapy and I've been using it for a year now and I cannot believe the difference in my eyelashes. I've never wanted to spend time on extra beauty products and routine and going and getting things done, but this works. I was skeptical and it actually works. It's just this serum I put on my eyes every night before bed. My mascara applies better. My lashes are longer, thicker, fuller. Listen, I didn't believe it until I tried it and it works. Um, And you guys can save actually when you go to helloskincare.com and use the code LINDSAYH20 
and that'll get you 20% off your order with Hello Skincare. So that's Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-H-2-0. They actually have great serums for your face as well. I use their vitamin C serum in the morning. Check them out. Let me know what you think. I guarantee your eyelashes are going to be thicker and fuller and you will love it. All right, friends, back to the show. Okay, so how do we play as adults? It's different. Yeah. It's, it's different, right? So don't think about like toys or <laughs> dolls or that kind of thing. Although um, we're a big Lego house. Oh, My yeah. My was like Lego obsessed. So yeah. I like he still plays. Lego is play for him. Mm-hmm. Lego is not play for me. It's frustrating for, for me. Adults, it has to be fun. Yeah. Right. It's it's frustrating for me, too. I don't. Um, they do these like really creative challenges. Like let's try to build X, Y, Z using only these certain parts. Like I really can only build a tower. Yeah. (laughs) That's the extent of it. So it has to be something that feels good and is enjoyable to you. And I think a really important characteristic is that it is something that if you were to devote a little time to it, you would kind of like lose yourself in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So like reading is something that falls into that category for me. Like a really good novel, you can all of a sudden like look up and it's been a half hour, 45 minutes. Like what are the things like that that bring you some joy, bring sort of ease into your body that you can just kind of lose yourself in? Yeah. I mean, I feel that way even a little bit if I just play soccer with my kids for a little bit. Like that's, totally. that's fun. If, if I don't, this sounds kind of selfish, but if we're talking about play for adults, if I don't only make it about them, like I'm actually like my son is 10 now. So like he can actually like throw down and get past me and like, I can't even keep up with him at this point in soccer. But like if I actually get out there and like am working too and not just like doing it for their enjoyment, but also for mine, it's fun. It's totally fun. My kids start at play are playing little league for their first time this year. And I played softball my whole life. And so like getting a glove back out and being able to play catch, I would have no reason to do that without the kids. Yeah. But that is such an enjoyable thing for me too. So I think also like a piece of this is cultivating an intentional way of checking in with yourself because I think sometimes we are engaging in activities that do have the potential to feel playful for us, but because we're so focused on whatever, somebody else's experience, maybe what the kids are getting out of it, what sort of like the end product Mm -hmm. or thing needs to be. We, it's, it's sort of also about like the attitude that we're bringing to something. So I think if we become curious about our, the way our bodies are responding, the way we're responding emotionally, there are probably a lot of other things that happen during our day that have the potential to be sort of playful and offer us that healing. For sure. Um, okay, so when you talk about stress, and I don't know if this is specific for adults or kids or if it's a different, you know, different talking points, but coming back down to that baseline, like everybody has a different baseline. So like yes. how do we know like that we're back to back to land or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. So that's a great point. Everybody has a different baseline. And some of that, like where you are, I think about it as like an arousal continuum with calm on one side 
and terror on the other side. And all of us kind of fall somewhere in there. I do think many of us have experienced some shifting mm -hmm. since COVID mm -hmm. as we become more sensitized. I think there are very few of us who are baseline calm at this point, just because there's been so much that we have like taken in um, over the past couple of years. I think just having a sense of what for you feels like a safety if that's a feeling in your body that's accessible to you it is not to everybody ease i think is another thing to look out for and the the third is a somatic idea that i have really latched onto it's this idea of okayness mm. so okayness as a baseline i'm not under threat i'm not feeling my body's not freaking out i'm just kind of okay right it's not like i know that the stress has all stopped, but in this moment, I can tolerate what's happening to me. I have the capacity to respond in the way that I would want to, and sort of all of those parts of my brain are working together. It's not just the brain stuff stuff. Wow, not having the feeling of being safe has to be really scary. Yeah, and I, you know, unfortunately, I think that's true for a lot of people. We think about safety as being sort of equally accessible and it's really not yeah. i mean for lots of survivors of different traumatic events but also you know entire groups of people entire groups of intentionally you know marginalized folks whose bodies elicit negative responses from other people mm -hmm. so I shifting away from safety into that idea of okayness, I think just is might feel a little bit more accessible for folks. What might someone say to someone who you perceive have those feelings, like just feelings of being scared? Like what someone who's not a therapist, but like a friend or community member or neighbor, um, what might be like good things to communicate or say to someone who you think might be feeling that way, but you're obviously not their therapist. So, you know, sometimes it's not really saying anything at all. The other thing that is really important to consider in all of this, like brain body stress stuff, is the idea that our internal states are super contagious to one another, mm -hmm. right? And that's especially true when we are in some sort of close or intimate relationship with that person. And it's even more true if we are in any sort of position or po of power or authority over that person, right? With your kids, for example, you're, if you wake up just in a crappy mood, that spreads pretty fast, mm -hmm. right? Where like one of, I think, our most significant tools in helping folks to like come back down is our ability to show up already at our baseline mm -hmm. and being able to just kind of sit with folks and allow your, it's almost like your nervous system is communicating to theirs that this is, this is their, there's an absence of a threat here. Mm -hmm. So, and the other thing I think is, and rather than trying to tell someone that they don't need to be afraid or that you are a safe person, because again, that's appealing to a part of the brain that they may not have access to asking questions, asking mm -hmm. questions about their experience, asking questions about, you know, if it's appropriate, if there are ways that you can do things differently mm. to create sort of a reciprocal relationship that feels good for them. You know, I always wonder how a therapist, someone like you, like, what about when you're stressed out and you're like, you know, talking to these people, I'm like, surely you have your highs and lows too. Like, how do you maintain like neutrality when you're like, you're feeling off? 
So, you know, compartmentalizing is a great coping skill. Yeah. And I think, which speaks to like, you know, thinking about like, what's my stuff and what's other people's stuff. Mm. I don't know if this is true for you, but I, um, it is much easier for me to kind of shut down what's going on with me when the person in front of me is in significant distress. Like I would much rather. Yeah. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> help you with yeah. your stuff than necessarily sit with mine. But, you know, I think especially in therapeutic relationships, that like relational contagion thing is huge. And so clients can sort of read your body, read your body language if it's different. Um, So, you know, authenticity is an important part of practice. So I'm fine to just disclose that I've had a crappy morning or, you know, I'm feeling a little off today. If you've noticed, like I might just be a little funky today. That's okay to say. Like we don't have to be perfect people. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. It's not attainable. No, it's not. So you talked about learning something new as a way to like center yourself. What are some other, I think you call them micro practices, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, um, oh, I don't have one over here. I um, realized during COVID that there are a lot of these that I used to use in my therapeutic practice that um, everybody could learn to do and use on their own. And so I created this card deck that's like little three and a half by three and a half inch cards that have, um, there's 28 of them, 28 different practices that you can do in under three minutes that don't require stuff, like they're all body-based, different types of movement, different patterns of movement. Some of them are are breath-based, but not a lot of them. Um, I don't, that's probably my own bias. I, I don't find a lot of breath work to be soothing. For me, a lot of it feels kind of activating. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are movement-based. But like some of the examples that I gave using dancing is a great one. So putting on, you know, one song and dancing around the room, my kids. So I've tried most of these with my kids to make sure that they made sense as they were reading them. Their favorite is um, it's called the five finger breath. So you if you hold your hand out like a starfish and with your opposite pointer finger, start at the base of your thumb and just trace your fingers up as you inhale and down as you exhale. Um over and over each finger and then do the opposite hand. There's all these sort of like little teeny tiny tricks. Um, Finger massages Mm. feel really good. Mm -hmm. And there's something about certain parts of the knuckle that are supposed to be correlated with the cortex. Like there's all kinds of these little body-based practices that um, are super easy to do. I also like to share a lot of them on my social media. On Instagram, I'm always posting what I'm mostly what I'm using on that particular day to keep myself together, get myself back together. And you're Dr. Jenny King on. Yes. At Dr. Jenny King. Yep. Okay. So tell me about the unschooling thing with your kids and also like how you do it with work. Yeah. So, um, in case like folks aren't familiar with what that is, unschooling means that, um, my kids don't go to school in Ohio. That means, we register as homeschoolers, but there's not a lot about it that looks like traditional compulsory school at all. So kind of the way of thinking about it is that we believe that we are learning all the time. Um, and so that means that sort of the the world is our classroom. In our case, the community is our classroom. We've um, created a co-op with a few other families 
um, that are like-minded and we spend a lot of time together in the community. I asked my kids what I should say about this this morning. And my son said, tell them that it's like if school was a field trip, but all day, every day, (laughs) we do a lot of field trips. So the idea is that it's very much child led and the grownups are there sort of as like guides. So if there is a particular interest that comes up um, that my child wants to pursue, my role is to just kind of help them find resources that allow them to do that. An example of that right now is they, both of my, my six-year-old and my almost eight-year-old have been, they came across some video on YouTube of, like, kids love watching kids play other games on YouTube. Yes, why? It's so strange. My kids love it? it too, yes. And I, I like dislike YouTube, but then I'm like, I guess this is harmless. I don't, this, this well, particular yeah, thing. this particular thing. And so the game that he that the kid was playing was identifying different countries' flags. Okay. That's, right? Yeah. So, now there's this interest around different countries' flags, and they're asking me, I have no idea, yeah. right? The majority of stuff that I learned in K-12, I have no idea. Right. Like I'm Googling, Google is my best friend, yeah. right? So it's really just allowing them to pursue what they're interested in with an intergenerational component. So we are, the idea is to try to sort of lessen the power dynamic where it's not like we are teachers, it's like we are both teacher students or co-learners. So I have learned more about trains in the past seven years than I ever would have imagined before. But I think for us, how it we came to it because it became very clear early on that just sort of the, my oldest son way of learning naturally was very self-directed from the beginning. And his the pace with which he learns is really different than what would happen in a traditional classroom. So by the time that he would have been ready to go to kindergarten, when you look at sort of like the academic standards for each year, it just didn't line up with where he was. And so I think the beauty of unschooling is that you can really kind of meet your child where they are and move at their pace. Um, it also like naturally builds in a lot of what I'm talking about with what's helpful with the brain and body, that there's a lot of emphasis on movement. We're outside a ton. There's a lot of time for free play if that's what they're choosing to do. Um, the doses of challenge and newness are kind of coming into play all the time. One of the, um, big activities this winter that we had never tried before, but they really came to love. Um, You know, the weather in Cleveland is crappy in the winter. So we spent a lot of time in museums and science center and libraries, that kind of thing. But they, um, we found an indoor rock climbing studio that is, the kids are welcome there. And like rock climbing is a great example of, you know, pattern repetitive stuff. So A typical day at home looks different than when we are with the co-op, which is mostly out in the community. Um, We try to partner with uh, community organizations and things like that. But we also just spend a lot of time at those institutions. But I think the easiest way to think about it is like it probably looks like what a summer day might look like for other families. That's not, you know, a summer camp or something like that. Because we believe they're learning all the time, summer isn't any different from the rest of the year. They wake up when their bodies are ready to wake up, which like that in and of itself. That's huge. 
has been huge. I can't tell you how many times I, I'll take my kids late to school if they just don't wake up. I'm like, I'm yeah. just, I'm not waking them up. There's just, there's just a lot about compulsory education that doesn't match with yeah. like what we know about brains yeah. and bodies. So what, that's like a piece of it, but also we, you know, we're a diverse family. We're a multiracial family and there are things, especially right now in traditional schools, compulsory schools that just do not line up with the values that we have around diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-bias, anti-oppression, that kind of stuff. So it allows us a lot of sort of flexibility in what we're going to, to be pursuing. But so my oldest, for example, loves to read. I love to read too. He was really excited to read before bed because some the book next book in his series he was reading he had just gotten and I you know read as long as you want before bed right do whatever you want in the morning he was still in bed at like nine thirty or ten which is pretty late yeah for him and when he came downstairs he's like I finished the book and I was like what how long did you stay up reading he's like I don't know the last time I looked at the clock it was like two something <laughs> but that's not <laughs> like, a bad thing. But- Right? Like, so then school's happening till two in the morning. Right. It's fine. Right? So it's just, I think it's been really interesting for us to sort of, we talk about de-schooling, which is like having a process for decoupling yourself from viewing education or specifically learning through the way that we've kind of been taught to as you know, sitting at a desk for X number of hours a day, achieving these milestones at this particular time, which are kind of arbitrary, right? Like, and it just doesn't work for some people. No, it doesn't. I just, I think about, my dad always tells me about when he was a kid and he was like, I think I spent one year, I think I spent the whole year. And I mean, obviously we've made some progress since like the seventies, <laughs> hopefully in some places they would never do this. But it's like, I think I spent the whole year just like sitting in the hallway because I just got in trouble all the time. And it's like that yeah. school and that teacher, clearly they weren't equipped to handle him. And he probably shouldn't have been in that kind of school setting if we're really honest. Yeah. Well, and also like just the way that, that, we've moved from traditional or sort of like indigenous ways of educating really were several adults with several kids, right? This intergenerational thing was Mm -hmm. happening. You're passing down songs and, and rituals and that kind of thing. We've moved from that like heavily relational, different ratio to one teacher, 30 kids. Like I don't, I, I do not, have I, I appreciate teachers so much because I just what they're up against is and it's incredible it's incredible to manage like we know what it's like to manage our, our kids in our houses when we're alone like it's it's just unreasonable to expect that they're going to be able to meet the relational and like biological or brain body needs of every kid every single family. different individual Hey friends, a quick break here to let you know about Shoot Photography. This is a great photography service that is super easy and simple to book and also very affordable. They're in over 60 markets all over the country and you just book a session for free and then it's 30 minutes and you only pay for the photos that you love and want to keep. And my family just got pictures taken. It was super simple, 30 quick minutes, painless for the most part with kids. But honestly, like this is such a good idea for getting your Christmas pictures taken, simple branding pictures you might need done for your website, whatever it is. 
or just getting up-to-date photo of your kids that you didn't have to take that you could be in. These are high quality photographers and this is a price that just, you can't beat it. When you purchase five or more of your photos, you can use the code SANDYBOY and that'll get you 15% off your order. Um, you can buy your photos individually or buy the entire package for a very affordable price as well. Um, you usually get around 100 pictures for the 30-minute session, so lots to choose from. Go to shoot.com, S-H-O-O-T-T.com. And again, book your session. They're in over 60 markets. They've got to be near you, at least sort of close. And then use that code SANDYBOY when you purchase five photos or more for 15% off. All right, friends, back to the show. I'm so curious though, because you're, you have such a high level of education yourself. I um, know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that your kids aren't being highly educated. That's not what I meant at all. But I'm just thinking like in terms of like, if they want to go to college and things like that, I think as little things like, I mean, I think the math thing is what I could not, I don't, I wouldn't be able to teach that to my kids. You know what I mean? Um, especially like yeah. algebra and things like that. So like when you get to those like advanced concepts that let's be honest, not very many of us are using in our everyday lives, I know. but you, we do have to take tests to like get accepted to college and things like that. How does that work? Absolutely. So if that's something that our kids want to pursue, um, which again, like I love education, obviously, you know, like that's, that's what I do. That's yeah. I would have stayed in school forever. Um, I think that at that point they have had all these years of honing their abilities to learn, right? So seeking out the information that they need, um, integrating in a way that makes sense to them. So I think, again, our role is getting them the information that they need, getting them practice tests and that kind of thing so that we have an idea of what they need to know. But I do think that the what I've looked at in terms of research, there's not a ton of research about unschoolers, but there are a few studies that look at what adult unschoolers, what their experiences in college were like okay. compared to um, traditional schoolers. And I think just the the, the the thinking about learning is, is very different. And they are accustomed to not needing constant direction and constant external validation in order to do it. Like they're intrinsically motivated a little bit earlier, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we're not, I don't anticipate, although I could be totally wrong, I wouldn't anticipate having to like force a kid to study to take the SAT. Yeah. As much as like, this is something I'm interested in doing. So let's figure out how to make it happen. So you're with a co-op and you obviously also like are working full time. So mm -hmm. do, you, do you have like one day a week where you're in charge of the, co like, how does that work? So it's actually, my husband is, participates in all of this more okay. than I do because okay. his schedule is more flexible than mine. And also like his <laughs> demeanor is different from mine. Totally. Um, he's a much more like, he's that like regulated force that uh -huh. like calm and whatever force. And I'm like, you know, asking uh -huh. a million questions in everybody's business all the time. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, my schedule actually does have a good deal of flexibility. And so I um, try to get there as much as I can. I'm there more over the summer. Um, but we also make sure, you know, kids have to have, my kids still have a day with grandma once a week. That's important. Like the intergenerational piece is important. But yeah, we are kind of moving toward there being less adult involvement every time. 
but at this point, each family is grown up. Is there? Is your two year old in daycare then? She is with my mom. Okay. But okay. on days that she's not, she'll come to the co op so too. Just come and be a part of it. That's yeah. so cool. And it's cool to see, like, you know, it's all mixed aging too. So, like, the littler, they're just in different positions with each other. So, there's another um, two and a half year old that's there as well. And it's really interesting to watch, like, her older siblings with my toddler. And my kids with hers, as you can imagine, there's a difference in like the level of patience. Oh, yeah, for sure. So it's just I think there's a lot of benefit even to like the kids of all ages being together all the time. There's a lot that you can kind of like try on that you don't get to in your family. How many families are doing it? Uh, Right now, it's just four of us, but we just got um, four families. Is that right? I think so. Um, we just got a grant that's going to help us to expand to some more families too. We're hoping to find like a space, like a home base sort of space. So yeah, it's an exciting time for like building all of this out. It's, I don't know, it's been a really cool sort of journey for our family. And I think that um, my husband and I benefit from it as much as our kids do. It just just feels cool. Yeah. I just think that, um, and I know you were doing this before COVID, right? Yes. Yeah. But I do think that we uh, we have realized in these last two years that we can kind of create our own path a little bit more than we yes. thought we could. Yes. You know, and I know that everybody doesn't have the freedom to do these things, maybe, you know, like as far as time and resources and, and whatnot. And, you know, I'm thinking of like a single mom who's like, my kids have to go to school. Like, that's all I can sure. I can do. But like a good percentage of us can create our lives, you know, in a way that we really want to, like you can really lean into that. Yes. You know, and I don't know. I think that the last two years have really like made us rethink things. I mean, the smallest things like my husband, yeah, he could go back to the office now, but like he knows he doesn't have to. And like, yes, just like it's, it gives so much more freedom in the day. You know, it's like, cutting out that commute five days a week is huge. And like, you can choose that. Not everybody, but if you can, it's a nice time to rethink. Well, and I think it's like we had choices. All of us had had some choices available to us that we had never even considered. Considered, yeah. Right? I do know single moms who homeschool. Yeah. That there are ways to do that. You know, you find your neighbors, you find your people. I think doing this kind of like home-based education in community is super duper important, but like you may not have even sought out whether or not that's possible before. I think you're absolutely right that the last two years have, have provided openings if we were up for exploring them. Up and I think exploring. sometimes we weren't, yep. um, some of us more than others, but I think there's, there was a lot of opportunity to say like, why do we do this this way? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. This doesn't feel good to me. Why? I don't want to do this this way. Like, what can we do instead? And so I hope we hold on to that. Yeah. I hope that, I hope that as we move forward, we hold on to some of that because it would be a real shame to let it pass. I like the quality of my life (laughs) with my husband working from home, even though it's mass chaos a lot of days, um, especially in the summertime with the kids. I'm just like, how did I even do it before? When you would leave it, you would go run at like five, you'd come home, change, shower, leave and be gone until like six, seven, sometimes, sometimes eight. Just because when you're already at work and you have things to get done, 
You're just like, well, I'll just stay until it gets done. But if mm-hmm. you're at home and your family's here, you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to take a break, do the family stuff. And if I have to get back to it tonight, I can. But like, you're just naturally more inclined to, to do those breaks if you're Absolutely. physically here. Absolutely. I think even small things like taking a break to eat lunch. <laughs> that sounds bad. But yeah. Or go on a walk around the food. block. Yeah. yeah. Prepare something. I mean, honestly, a lot of the time that's like eating whatever scraps my kids didn't eat. Yeah. But it's different from, you know, sitting at my desk with like a takeout something yeah. and stuffing my face while I'm trying to get more work done. Like, yeah, taking walks, taking a dog out in the middle of the day. Like there's just a lot more opportunity to do the kinds of things that'll bring us back to baseline that aren't accessible to us when we're like away in the office. I same, I can choose to be in the office or working from home. And even with, you know, my kids are home a lot. I would still prefer to be here when I have the opportunity. I mean, our classes are back in person, but a lot of other stuff, you know, we've kept the online option and it just, yeah, there's a little more harmony that way. I think between not balance, I don't believe in balance, but I think there's more harmony Harmony, between like work and family that way. I'm only sad that it didn't happen sooner because, man, I could have, you know, we're past the napping days in our family, (laughs) but I'm just thinking of all the runs I could have gone on and like, or like just gone to Target by myself simply because someone was napping and like he was just physically present, (laughs) you know, like, and also like, I'm not going to lie. I have. Because I we're not past the napping phase, and I have napped more. In yeah, past yeah. Years, like all of the other years combined. So I hear you. That's like there so are good. There are like some definite bright spots to yeah. all of this too. <laughs> um. All right, Jenny. Well, uh, let's wrap up here with some end of the podcast questions. What's something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? I want to write a book. And I want to put that out into the universe. Put it out. Um, it's like, you know, one of those things you think I thought about it for a long time and I need to just like try to do it. And I haven't done that yet. So put that out into the universe. Thriving after trauma. What is the book about? Probably like a lot of what we've talked about today, how yeah. we sort of manage like the types of things we face and what are what are some of the ways that we can manage is kind of what I'm thinking. And what's the best most recent book you've read? Uh, so I just reread uh, The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor, which is just incredible. And every time I look at it, I learn something different. That's nonfiction, though. Okay. I like I am the stay up till two in the morning because I have to finish a book person, too. So I um, what was that? Malibu Rising. Ooh, I like that. Every single book that Taylor Jenkins re- has has written is one of those stay up into the middle of the night. So that was the most recent one of hers that I read. Yeah, I think I've read all of her books. They're really They're good. so good. I started with Daisy Jones and then went to Evelyn Hugo. I started with Evelyn Hugo. Yeah, yeah. so good. They're like drugs. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> the earlier more. ones aren't as good, but I they're just going to keep getting better. But I'm so sad because I'm like totally caught up. It's such a bummer. Isn't that such a bummer? And then I have to like pause. I have to like actually mourn yeah. the characters being gone. Yes. Like I cannot just jump into something else right away. That's why I always get excited when um, books like that get turned into shows because I'm like, oh, I get to meet them again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I wish her books would. Like I heard that Daisy yeah. Jones was turning into a mini series on Amazon, but I haven't. I've yet to see it. That would be amazing. No, yeah. I think you're right. And I feel like I heard about a second one. Maybe it was Evelyn Hugo. I, 
They'd all be good. They'd all be good. Yeah. As movies, as series. And her older ones would be good, like, just, like, rom-com, like, mindless movie watch, like, you know, quick 90-minute movie kind of thing. I'd watch them all. Yeah. Um, Do you have any kids' books you recommend? Um, I really like the picture book, The Good Egg. Okay. Um, That's a really nice one for just, like, the way that we think about ourselves and the expectations that we have for ourselves. Um, I also, I love young adult literature. Like I love reading those teen books too. Um, and I use them in one of my classes. I have, I have them read, um, the hate you give, Mm. which I highly recommend Mm -hmm. for any teenager. I think like specifically white teenagers. Um, it's just, it's such a great, such a great read and such a like timely sort of piece. I actually didn't know that. I haven't read that book, but I want to, and I didn't know it was actually geared towards teens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. Well, those books are good. Yeah. I think I like, I tap my inner teenager as often as I can. <laughs> and those books help to do that too. Um, what is a trip or a place that you've taken with your family that you recommend? So we haven't done much like major traveling, I think because the kids were really little pre-COVID, but we love a road trip. So we try to do these sort of like teeny weekends away that are drivable. Um, We're in Cleveland. The most recent one, I had to go to Chicago to do a talk and the kids came. I love that. And so we love to make a habit of like, check out the Science Center in that city, check out the Children's Museum in that city. Um, and any, any sort of outdoor park space, which is sort of like, those are our big three anywhere that we're going to visit. I love being able to bring my kids when I'm like going somewhere for work and I don't know, it it takes the guilt away a little bit. Not that I should feel guilty when I go away, but well, we do anyway. And it's fun. It's fun for the kids. And like that with unschooling, like we, I can do that whenever I want because there's, you know, there's no requirements. So I, you know, I really struggle with this attendance requirement thing. We're pretty lax about it. Like, I'm just like, yeah, sorry, we're just going to be gone. And I I don't want to be disrespectful to the teacher. I guess of that's course. my big thing. Of course. But I'm like, I'm not going to just like not go on this trip with my kids because they're going to miss three days of school. I'm just going to bring them with. It's just going to be what it is. Exactly. Like if we could just have, I think if we could have a, the option for a little bit more ownership over what. Yeah traditional school look like like could they go part-time yeah could they go a couple days a week you know like that would be very very different and hard logistically yes <laughs> for a lot of folks but I agree with you the stringent attendance stuff is really hard yeah and we're still young like my oldest is going into fourth so like I don't think that they're paying attention too much I maybe when they get a little bit bigger it'll be a bigger deal but we have had to like send forms in because they've been like, your child has missed too many days. And right. We just signed the papers and it, yeah. it's They'll be back well when good. they're back. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your last message to leave with the audience today? Give yourselves grace. Give yourselves more grace. Give your kids more grace. All of us, you know, none of us are operating as our best selves very often at this point. And I think, unfortunately, our expectations haven't shifted to match that. So lower your expectations and then lower them again (laughs) and just give yourself some grace for sure. That's good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was so fun to talk to you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Jenny King for coming on the show. You can follow 
Jenny on Instagram. She is Dr. Jenny King on Instagram. Go check her out. She's got all sorts of helpful advice over there that she's putting out into the world. You can follow this podcast. Why is everyone yelling on Instagram and me personally, I'm Lindsay Hines 626 over there. Learn more about this podcast and our network when you just go to sandyboyproductions.com. Don't forget to leave us a quick rating and review if you're enjoying this podcast. We'd really, really appreciate it. It means so much to us. I check those every day, sadly, and we're still sitting at 113 uh, ratings and reviews. And so, um, yeah, just to see that number go up even by one or two would make my day. Uh, You leave those ratings and reviews on iTunes, by the way. Think on Spotify, you can just leave ratings. You can actually leave a review on iTunes, though. Um, Thanks so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day. I hope you found this helpful in some way, shape, or form. And we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?